Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. Our hope is that these episodes will help you to experience and celebrate more of God's goodness in your own life. If you'd like to find out more about Celebration, visit our website at happychurch.ca. So for the last several weeks, uh, Pastor Neil's been taking us through the really difficult, uncomfortable, but important question of unanswered prayer. Because as hard as it is to understand, and as much as maybe we don't enjoy talking about it, all of us have gone through the experience of crying out to God and feeling like he's leaving us on red. Like God's hearing it and just not responding, right? Um, and it's important that we talk about this stuff because the reality is that every single one of us who follow Jesus for any amount of time are going to go through at least several of these seasons of prolonged unanswered prayer. Um, I know in my own life, I've gone through several, um, the most impactful of which was actually really similar uh, to that really difficult year that Pastor Neil shared about. My wife and I, uh, we went through several miscarriages over the course of a year and um, just felt like God was not responding. Now, uh, being in the future, I can look back on that and see how in the midst of that, God was working in me and he's developed in me through that season a deeper reliance on him and a much more um, real desire for Jesus. And he did eventually answer our prayer for another kid as is evidenced by my beautiful daughter who's almost one. But the reality is he didn't answer our prayers for those particular babies. And that's why we have to wrestle through these questions because as uncomfortable as it is for us, there's a lot of mystery here. And we don't like mystery. We don't like tension. We like black and white simple boxes. Uh, but God is so much bigger than we can wrap our head around, right? And I think sometimes when we try and force him into those simple like yes or no boxes for our answers to prayer, we completely miss out on the beauty of how God is actually answering, right? So I want us to look at actually one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels right now. So if you've got your Bible with you, um, turn to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be for most of this morning. Because this story illustrates for me, I think, that the, the crying out to God and having it go unanswered, and then having God show up in a miraculous way beyond what we could imagine. And that kind of tension of sitting in the struggle of that. So in John chapter 11, starting at verse 1, um, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. See, that's, that's how it starts. There's a crisis in our life and we cry out to God. And like the way they're, the, the way they're praying, it, it's, it's a powerful way. They're reminding God. They're not just saying, hey God, can you show up and help? They're not saying, Jesus, can you just come heal this? They're saying, hey, Jesus, this one that you love, this dear friend of yours that you care about is sick. They're reminding God of his promises. That's what, that, that's what good, healthy prayer looks like, taking the promises of God in scripture and rehearsing those as we come to God, building confident faith, 
Right? So they prayed the right kind of prayer. But look what happens. Uh, John 11, picking up at verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, The sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Because Jesus loved this family, he waited. And that alone is like a head scratcher because we might think it would say, so because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he rushed off. He dropped what he was doing and he ran to them. But he didn't. It was actually his great love for them that motivated him to wait two more days before setting out. Because he already told his disciples, death was not going to get the last word in this story. So his plan for how he was going to show up in this situation, even though it was not what the sisters wanted, was something that would end in so much more glory for God, and therefore so much more good for this family that he loved. So let's fast forward a little bit in the story, skipping ahead to verse 17. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, the confidence and the faith, even though he didn't show up in the way she expected. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Jesus shows up late. Lazarus is dead. And Martha still holds the confidence that Jesus can do whatever. That when Jesus asks God on someone's behalf, it will happen. She holds out this faith in him. And uh, she, she has the hope of the resurrection which for Martha, um, she, th this hope is entirely based on promises of God. That in the end, when God sets everything right he, right, he will raise his people to new life. How much greater should our hope be? Because Martha lived on, uh, on that side of the resurrection. We live um, after Jesus' resurrection is a historical established event. After what the Bible calls the first fruits of God's new creation. 
has already happened. So yes, we look forward with hope to the moment where Jesus makes everything right. We're going to talk about that after. But it is anchored in the sure fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that even death itself is not the final word when Jesus is involved in the situation. So Martha, even in her disappointment, has faith, hope, and confidence in Jesus and what he can do. She does not doubt his goodness or love, even though he didn't show up when she called. Now, how about Mary, right? At first, Mary stays at the house. She doesn't want to go see Jesus. So Martha returns and tells Mary, hey, Jesus is here and he's looking for you. And isn't this the way? Because sometimes when things are not going our way, we want to kind of like push God away and, and reject his calls. It's like, you, yeah, you didn't answer mine. Well, I'm not going to answer yours. But when we turn and run to him rather than hide from him in our pain, That's where something beautiful happens in the middle of this. So skipping forward to verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see Jesus wept. Some of the most powerful uh, writing in all of the Gospels. See, Mary, when she stops hiding from Jesus and comes before him in all honesty and pours out her pain, yes, but with that confident hope, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I know what you can do. And she pours out her pain before him because she trusts him. She falls at his feet, the place that she has always sat to learn from him because she trusts him, because she knows that he is good and he loves her and can hold that intention with the fact that she called out for him and he didn't show up. And in that place of honest, authentic wrestling, Jesus, Jesus, the one who knows the end of the story, who knows what he is about to do, Jesus weeps with her. And I think if we fast forward to the end of the story, which we often do because we're uncomfortable with the pain and the the, the tension here. We miss out on this beautiful reminder that in the, the middle of the struggle, when we're trying to hold these two things together at once, the goodness and love of God, and the fact that sometimes he does not answer when we call, when we try and hold those two things together without letting one go, that there, When we bring our pain to Jesus, he sits in the middle of it with us. So the story continues. 
the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, well, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And how often is this our response? Is this the response of the critics and the voice we wrestle with in our own head? Yeah, well, if God loved us, why didn't he? And fill in the blank, but it's all saying the same thing. Why didn't he do things exactly the way we wanted? But God's plan is so much bigger. Because see, what Jesus was about to do was so much greater than what the sisters had been asking for. The prayer they were praying was not actually what they were truly longing for. Their prayer was, was a small shadow of the words that their heart was echoing forward. And that prayer, the prayer beyond what they could ask, think, or imagine, is what Jesus was about to do. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Imagine the look on their faces as Lazarus, who had been really and truly dead, walks out of the tomb. Because Jesus answered their prayer, but far beyond what they were asking. And for a moment, for, for several days, it looked like Jesus had failed them. And yet they could hold that with the fact that they were confident in who he is and his goodness and love for them. See, this story is not meant to just be like, they, answer, they asked, stuff happened, and God showed up. The meat of this story happens when we sit in the pain. Imagine the, the struggle of the two sisters. Lazarus has been dead for four days. They cried out to Jesus. They sent this messenger and they expected Jesus who loved Lazarus greatly to come running and save him. They were asking Jesus not to do the impossible for him, but to do something that he has done for strangers time and time again. Imagine their heartbreak, maybe even their sense of betrayal as the messenger comes with the sad look on his face and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. When their brother dies and grief overtakes them, their community grieves together and then Jesus arrives too late. Imagine the hurt, the anger. And yet in that moment, both sisters in their own timing had to decide, can two things be true at once? 
Can God be good and love me and fail to answer me when I call out? And for them, in the mystery of it all, they could say yes. I hate that we're so uncomfortable with mystery in, in the Western church. In fact, one of my favorite things about the Eastern church tradition is that they don't just have like an acceptance or tolerance of the, the mystery and tension of the life of a Jesus follower. They, they have a deep admiration for the beauty of it. Because it's a reminder that God is too big for us to, to confidently um, squish down into a box. The reason I love this story so much is it is like, it is a narrative unfolding of the important truth that the Apostle Paul gives us in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul is saying the pain and the suffering and the hurt and the disappointment of this moment is nothing in comparison to the future hope that Jesus has promised and prepared for us, the glory that we are going to see. And, and if, you, if you wrestle with this, read through Romans chapter 8, read through it over and over again and allow the beauty of, of not just us, but the Holy Spirit within us and creation itself crying out in deep longing prayer, for the moment where God in his glory returns and reveals who we as the sons of God are in our fullness, the moment where Jesus comes and makes all things new. We're gonna look at that in a minute, but I think sometimes, sometimes we treat this the whole opposite way around. We think the, the, the prize, the thing we're longing for is the temporary answer to prayer, the healing of the sick in this moment, the, the prolonging of life, when actually Paul is saying, all of this, that's good, that's great. But like in the midst of that, there's all this suffering and pain. And the moment we're really longing for is the glory. I, we hear this when someone dies, we've been praying for them. And they go, they know Jesus, they've gone to be with him. And it's like, oh, I wish God had have answered my prayer, but at least I guess they're in a better place. Like it's some kind of consolation prize. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul talks about it. Philippians 1, verse 22 to 24. I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. See, for the Apostle Paul, the consolation prize was continued health, continued ministry opportunity, the ability to keep doing what he's doing here on earth. The real prize was to rest with Jesus face to face and await with all of creation that moment for which we are all hoping and looking forward to. So what is our hope? What is this glory that is to be revealed? Well, it's yet to be revealed. So, of course, the place we should go is Revelation, where through images um, that, that speak more to our heart 
even than they can to our mind, that, that call us deep into the imagining of what it truly means to see God face to face, to be truly in his presence, to live truly in the, the world the way he meant it to be. In that vision, God gives us this beautiful description. Revelation 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Right, because these words are faithful and true. This is a promise we can trust that At the end of it all, when Jesus returns, which is a promise, when when the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, like the psalmist says, when the moment that all of creation is longing for, the moment where we, the people of God, are raised to new life, uh, revealed for what we truly are as the sons of God, in that moment, Everything is made new. Pain, grief, death, gone. And in a way, this is what we are all praying for. Every prayer for healing is an echo of the deeper, truer longing for Jesus to make all things new. Every prayer for deliverance, for freedom, for justice, for provision is a longing, a deep crying out from the core of our being, echoing with the, the, the prayer of the Holy Spirit and the prayer of creation itself. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every day as Jesus followers pray this, we pray this for the situations around us in the world. And sometimes Jesus arrives and does exactly what we thought we were asking for. Sometimes, sometimes when we're praying his words in his will, in his name, the situation we think we're praying for is actually just a shadow of what our prayers are truly longing for. As Jesus is willing through us, this prayer for his kingdom to come in its fullness. One of the most, I think, powerful um, illustrations of what prayer truly is comes to us from um, Revelation. I'm going to read two verses. So in Revelation 8 verse 5, The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Here we see see the the angels before God. They have a a golden incense burner, this beautiful bowl. As you can see, um, my budget is much lower than theirs, right? So here we have 
um, the incense burner, use your imagination. This holy article with the smoke rising, the angels take the fire from the altar of God and they put it in and burn this incense and this ball of fire, they hurl it to the earth as an act, uh, as, as a symbolic act of God's judgment over evil and his bringing of his kingdom in its fullness. The incense in the bowl is a part of how God is judging evil and bringing his good kingdom rule to the earth. How he is making all things new. Okay, that's cool. What does that have to do with prayer? Good question. Let's bounce back a few chapters to Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 where we see these golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. See, when we are praying, we often think we're praying just for that thing right in front of us. And so we pray and it goes up before God. And the imagery Revelation gives us is it it gathers into this bowl. God sees it. And sometimes Jesus shows up in exactly the way we want it. But sometimes in those seasons of unanswered prayer, we pray and we long and we hope. And all of our prayers over time gather and they gather and they gather. And our longing, our deep longing that we think is for this one thing in front of us is actually the spirit working through us to pray the deep, echoing prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. And as our prayers gather, they become a part in the mystery of it all, a part of the way, part of the instrument that God uses to bring his kingdom to its fullness here, to judge evil and make the world right. Kind of makes unanswered prayer seem just a little bit more awesome. I love this quote from Tim Chester in in, um, The Message of Prayer. Prayers we think of as directed to the present are in fact being stored up to be answered on the final day. When we pray for those suffering ill health, we are expressing our longing for the day when there will be no more sickness. When we pray for God to end wars and oppression, we are expressing our longing for the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. When we pray for mercy on those suffering natural disasters, we are expressing our longing for the day when creation itself will be remade. The prayers we think have gone unanswered, may in fact be stored up in the bowls of incense held by the 24 elders waiting for a greater fulfillment than ever we anticipated. Many of your prayers are lodged there and one day they will determine the ultimate course of history. So how do we live in the tension between knowing with confidence that God is good and he loves me. And knowing that in reality, sometimes I call and he doesn't respond. 
by sitting with Jesus, looking to Jesus, and resting our sure and confident hope in that which we are truly longing for, eternity with God, the world set right, not, not a relief from pain, but the end of pain. Not healing of a sickness, but the end of all sickness. Not peace in the midst of war, but peace for all. We can live in this tension between the two by remembering that because Jesus rose again, we know he is returning. And that that is, is what our prayers are all a true echo of. And I know that sometimes, sometimes it's hard to picture. It's hard to have hope for this moment where Jesus returns because we, ha we have this weird, fuzzy idea of like, just kind of like existence in some spiritual sense with God for eternity. No, the Bible is so clear. The hope we have is yes, when, when we die, we are present with Jesus immediately. In that moment, we are with him in, in, his, in his presence, with his peace and his love wrapping around us. But that is not the end. The end is the world God always intended, the world that we messed up with sin being made new, all evil and injustice removed. And Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, here bringing heaven to earth to establish his rule, that thing we're called to pray for every day, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer of every Jesus follower down through the ages Come, Lord Jesus. This is what all prayer is a reflection of. So, this is the hope in these seasons of unanswered prayer. And this, this is the hope for every Jesus follower, the hope of life. See, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death and sin. First, he died on the cross to, to put to death sin and the reign of evil in this world and if you're here and you've actually never um, trusted that if you've never said i, I want to follow you jesus i trust this but you want to in this moment hearing the the good thing that jesus has planned the hope and life that he is here to offer you the glory that is beyond comparison that is so much greater than the struggles you face right now if you want to be a part of that in this moment then tell jesus it's as simple as praying. You can pray this along with me. Um, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to get rid of my sin by dying for me. I turn from my sin and turn to you. Thank you for Jesus' resurrection that brings me new life and the confident hope of the world set right. Thank you for your spirit that comes to live within me, to teach me how to pray the deep and true longings of God's own heart and fill me with this confident hope. 
Help me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, um, I want you to let us know. We would love to celebrate with you and help you take some next steps. You can do that um, by filling out a connect card in the chat and just uh, selecting the, the box that says, I decided to follow Jesus so that we can reach out and help you celebrate this and take these next steps as you grow in this relationship. Now for all of us, I know there are so many of us in our church family going through seasons, small or big, of unanswered prayer. Right now, I'd like us to just take a moment to pray with the Holy Spirit that we would, would understand the true longings of Jesus' heart, that we would see the hope that is before us and recognize that in this moment, yes, there may be suffering, yes, it may be hard, yes, things may not be going the way we want, but Jesus is working something far greater than we can even imagine. And that that confident hope is why the prayers that we think may be going unanswered are actually the prayers that Jesus himself is using to shape this future hope. His kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Let's, let's pray. If you're, if you're comfortable with it, I'd invite you to close your eyes and hold out your hands. Just to kind of shut your mind down and welcome the Holy Spirit. Yes, God, we acknowledge that it's hard. To, to hold these two truths together, that you are so good and you love us so much. And sometimes the good, honest prayers from, from an honest heart, that we cry out, seem to go unanswered. Holy Spirit, teach us to sit in the tension between these th truths. Fill us with the deep hope for the future glory you have in store. Teach us to pray the prayer of your own heart. That your kingdom would come and your will be done here on earth as in heaven. Holy Spirit, teach us to pray with honesty and excitement Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you're wrestling with that, I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 8, Revelation chapter 21. And if you're like me and like to get like nerdy deep into books, um, a great resource, which was actually on the shelf behind me by accident, that's cool, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, um, and Garden City by John Mark Comer. I, Neil asked me to preach this message, so I was, I was legally obliged to reference John Mark Comer in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that's it. So as you go and pray with confident hope um, this week, go and live a life that celebrates God. We hope this episode has helped you to experience more of God's goodness. If so, and you'd like to partner with Celebration, you can do so by texting Happy Church to 77977 or visiting our website. See you next time. Live a life that celebrates God.